Hey, leaders, be sure to check out this episode so that you have the opportunity to hear Curtis talk about his two favorite words, predictability and clarity. As well, we're going to really talk about how the considerations within this episode can really help to level up your already high-functioning teams. Leading organizations with intentionality and purpose is complex work. And dedicated leaders work tirelessly each and every day to build impactful cultures of collaboration. But effective collaboration is difficult and messy. The good news is you don't have to do it alone. Join the Jigsaw Learning Team for Leading Collaborative Response, sharing insights for leaders committed to establishing, refining, and deepening collaborative response in their organization. Welcome back again to Leading Collaborative Response. I'm Jennifer Ferguson, Week Lab Lead with Jigsaw Learning, and I'm joined today by Curtis Hewson, Lead Learner and Co-Founder of Jigsaw Learning. So hi, Curtis. Hey, Jen. Great to see you once again. It's been a little while. I was just thinking the same thing. How has summer been treating you? Uh, summer has been fantastic, but we all know it flies like that. We've had lots of time to enjoy with family, able to get away for a little bit of rest and relaxation, but it is coming to a end very, very quickly. How about for yourself? How has summer been? I was just having a conversation with my friend, the same thing. Like it cannot be the middle of August already because exactly. the time has flown. The kids have kept us busy. We've been able to get out and see some family we haven't seen in a while. So it's it's been go, go, go. And then you look at your watch and go, uh-oh, <laughs> I guess we should start school supply shopping. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, it was sure great having your daughter, Victoria, out. So for our listeners uh, who don't know, my daughter, Mia, and Jen's daughter, Victoria, are close friends. So they uh, spent a little bit of time, Victoria, out at the lake with us. And it was wonderful having us having her out there um, during that time as well, Jen. Oh, she was absolutely thrilled that you were willing to have her come on her own for her first road trip getaway in her car where she drove. And uh, I'm sorry we couldn't join you. I would have loved to have been there, but uh, baseball took us the other direction and Jimmy doesn't drive himself yet. So somebody <laughs> had to take him. <laughs> Understandable. It's uh, interesting when the kids get to a different point in life when you're not having to uh, make the drive and set up all the activities. When they were together, they pretty much took care of themselves. In fact, if we weren't involved, that was a-okay in their in their books. <laughs> it's great to see the independence but then you're kind of like you get a little sad of oh they don't really need me anymore yeah of course <laughs> I know that our listeners today are going to need to hear the message that we're sharing because I have been through a number of school startups in different roles and at the district level as well and I know that this advice was incredibly helpful when I was working with you so we're here today to talk about planning for team meetings. And I know that there's mm. five key mistakes that we're going to get into because we've all made them. But if we start with this idea of, okay, we we get together in teams all the time. We collaborate. We set up times to get together and accomplish things. Why is planning for team meetings even a topic of discussion? Well, you know, I, I want to go back to what you said of the timeliness of this conversation. We know that when we start off uh, for our our listeners who are engaged in schools, as we're starting a new school year, there's opportunities to set some new standards, some new um, expectations in place for us. And 
there are a lot of team meetings that start off a year that you really want to get started off on the right foot, especially if you're a new leader coming into an organization. So I think the idea of why planning is so critically important, I go back to our experience as teachers in the classroom. Could I go in and engage in a lesson without planning? Yeah, I reached a point where I could. We could engage in that learning. I knew what it is that I'm trying to accomplish. It was all played out in my mind. But I know from your experience in a classroom, I hope it was similar to mine. The days when I went in not well planned, it may or may not go as effectively as I like, but the effectiveness reached an entirely different level when I came in with structure, with a plan, with what I hope to accomplish, with some really effective processes in place. It just went from good to great in almost every situation when the planning was in place. And I think that's key for us as leaders is to remember that the the team meetings that we have are like our classrooms. And if we're walking into those without some clear planning and structures and processes in place, um, we may not have the effectiveness that we want. And time is so critically important for each and every person in that room that if we're not maximizing it, and it hurts the team over time where you go, oh my goodness, why, why did this 45-minute conversation take this long? We could have done it in 10. So I think that's why the planning is so critically important. And even when you have a team that's engaged and does very well, the planning just takes it to that next level. Absolutely. And so I, I look at this conversation as kind of the front loading of, of the school year, right? Like yeah. if we invest some time in this planning, invest some time in the conversations with our staff, much in the same way we would invest some time with our students in establishing routines and getting to know them and getting them to understand, you know, what's coming 100%. for them, right? So this is this is an exciting conversation for me because I'm a firm believer in all of that of, no, you know what? It's It's worth it to spend two or three days or whatever time you need to get that stuff established so that the rest of the time can operate more effectively. Absolutely. And I really think that when you do that, you create predictability, you create higher degrees of trust that are going to have substantial impact as you move forward. And I really hope our conversation today is going to be very confirming for leaders to be able to hear different thoughts and ideas and go, oh yeah, we do that. That Excellent. That, that's great to hear. So Curtis, you brought up predictability. Another of your favorite words is clarity. Mm -hmm. So let's start there because that is mistake number one. So do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. So this mistake is when we have not ensured clarity of why are we coming together? And it's going to lead into a couple other things that we'll talk about here in a little bit as well. But I think it's so critically important that when we come to a team meeting, even right at the very top of the agenda, it's the purpose. Why are we meeting together? Um, so if we don't have that in place, we can operate off assumptions. We may assume that everyone knows why we come together. We may assume that everybody knows the purpose, but that may not be the case. And when we can put that clarity right at the, at, at the forefront of the meeting and say, this is why we're coming together. Even if it's a team that meets regularly throughout a year or throughout a project, it can really ensure 
that we know why. It also helps when we start to build layers of teams. We know one meeting is not how most organizations operate. There's typically many different types of meetings happening within the organization involving different people. It can help determine and clarify why is this team meeting here? Why does this team meet here? Who's involved? That clarity. But then it also helps when I go to start crafting the agenda for that time, if what I'm crafting in the agenda isn't matching the purpose of the meeting, I should be having a question of why are we including this here? Could this be something that could be in an email? Is this the right context to be able to have this conversation? Uh, I think that it, it can seem something very simple. And well, of course, doesn't everyone know why we're getting together? No, let's make it in very, very clear. And so that's a mistake I know I've made even within our own organization, Jigsaw Learning. There's times where we'll meet and we haven't clarified what the purpose is. So I think that's a, a big mistake that we make is if we haven't made that crystal clear in regards to what we are, are doing together with the time that we have. And you touched on it, but I want to reiterate that idea of the layers of teams, right? The different mm. meetings that are taking place and how the purpose of each of them is different. So when I talk about that front loading, right? When you take a look at a school year calendar and show that all these meetings have been scheduled, having that clarity of why each of them is there really does help um, alleviate that feeling that sometimes we can get of, okay, we're just meeting for the sake of meeting, right? Yeah, we're one more meeting, why do we One meet? more meeting, why, right? And so when we have that clarity, when staff have that clarity, it's much easier to just come be prepared and move on with the agenda. I think also over time, if you can get real crystal clear on why each team is meeting, when, what does it look like, you can actually reduce the number of meetings that are happening in the school by just having really clear purpose and alignment between those different layers. We see it over and over in schools where uh, they actually reduce the amount of meeting time that they have because they've made it crystal clear what is each team doing and how is it contributing to the greater whole. Right. I almost want to do a plug here because I had a conversation with Lorna, right, about reducing the number of meetings you have by adding in one more kind. And it really mm -hmm. is around that clarity of if we bring in this particular collaborative team meeting, how it actually reduces the other kinds of meetings that we need to have because this meeting has its specific focus on instructional practice and tier two supports. And then we can lead into the other layers of meetings that seem to monopolize time when we don't have that one. And I think too, when we set out the purpose or clarity, it can also really help reinforce, well, who should be in this conversation? And if my expertise and presence is not needed based on the purpose, well, great. That's not a meeting I need to be attending. Absolutely. So Curtis, you brought up the idea of clarity contributing to the agenda. Mm -hmm. so let's roll into mistake number two then. And really that's just the lack of an agenda, right? Absolutely. And this one is a mistake that I've made many, many times in the past of coming together and well, we'll just have a conversation and see where it goes. And almost every time that that happens, it does not have the efficiency, the effectiveness, or the focus that we want to be able to have within our conversation. So even if it's a 
meeting that we have on a regular basis. Every week we're meeting, I'd still want to have a standard agenda. Now, the nice thing about the creation of the agenda is I can start to develop a template, for instance, and we'll just replicate the same agenda um, structure over and over again. But when we can put that agenda in place, it again comes back to the, the, the word that you highlighted to start, the clarity of what it is that we're doing. And again, this is the creation of predictability. I know where we're going next in the conversation. I know how much time it should be taking, and we can keep ourselves really, really focused during this time. So again, what we can do in a half hour doesn't stretch to an hour because we're going every which direction. That agenda is so, so critical for us. And then it leads off into a number of things. Uh, so again, it connects to, do we have the purpose clearly outlined there? It's going to connect to some of the other mistakes that we'll have here. But then it also helps when we start recording notes to be able to record, make that agenda in the notes document, one document, so that it's all clearly laid out for us. So whenever I have a chance to come into a team to observe or provide feedback, that's usually one of the first flags that'll come up around effectiveness is if I look around and nobody has an agenda of what it is that we're to do, nobody's taking notes. Um, I oftentimes will see that things stray in the conversation and that's what leads to disengagement or even frustration from participants. We've talked in other podcasts, Curtis, about the, the psychological safety that comes from having an agenda. And yeah. it applies, I think, both to the staff in attendance and the facilitator of that meeting, because the staff are able to come better prepared. They never get to that place where they're in the hot seat because they're asked a question or asked for something that they didn't know was coming. Yeah. And then as a facilitator, I'm confident when I say, okay, well, you know, time's up for that. We're going to move that conversation to another meeting because we need to move into this part. Again, nobody's offended because the agenda has been laid out. And I've found many, many times when that agenda is laid out, sometimes conversations that would have taken the meeting itself on a tangent might even happen beforehand, where someone can come and say, I saw this on the agenda. Can we just talk a little bit before we get together with everyone around it? it that becomes hugely beneficial when we think about overall efficacy within our conversations that happen in meetings. So you just hit on a point there that... I think we need to make known is the idea of getting the agenda out early. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's, it's, yes, you can have it prepared and you can take it to the meeting and put it on the table at the meeting. But really when you give people that think time before they come in again, it's just creating more of that psychological safety and that engagement in the meeting because people have had time to let things percolate and clarify the questions in their own head that they want to ask. We've got an agenda. We know the purpose, the clarity is there. The third mistake that we talk about is a lack of norms. And we get this one a lot around the idea of, well, you know, we we, we know how to work together. We, we're, we're a collegial group. Yeah, we've known each other forever. We've worked um, alongside one another over time. Our, our norms are just ingrained. And I think that's a mistake that we make. I made it very early as a principal in thinking, this idea of norms that must be for teams that either don't like working together or are unfamiliar working together. We don't need those. 
um, and found very, very quickly that yeah, norms are so incredibly important for uh, the team and being able to put those right into the agenda is really, really important. Um, being able to say that we uh, expect equal voice, well, that's going to contribute to how we behave or act within the meeting. As a facilitator, I have a little bit of a guide or expectations of things that we're going to hold each other accountable to within that meeting. And whether we call these norms, I've heard them expressed as collective commitments or rules of engagement, but that we clearly express what are the expectations we're going to hold one another accountable to. And it goes back to something I said earlier, that we're then not operating off assumptions. That when we say we'll arrive on time and prepared, we all understand what that means, what it looks like, how we're acting when we're doing that effectively. It builds high, high levels of uh, collaborative mass within the group that's critically important for us. And then not just having those norms, and, and you and I have experienced this many times where the norms are there, we read them off, everyone good, and then we just continue on. Being able to, in the meeting, say, all right, today let's focus on this one. Let's, let's really hone in. Last time we met together, we um, I don't think we had everyone's voice contributing. So today let's focus on norm number two that says we will ensure equality of all voice. And Jen, I'd love for you to just keep a list of every time someone adds an idea, put a little tally next to their name. And at different points in the meeting, I'm going to turn and say, who's someone that we haven't heard from? We're going to practice a norm each and every time. And again, it doesn't have to be extensive or take a ton of our meeting time. It may even be simply that today we are really going to focus on norm number four, which is that we will remain open and solutions focused. And at the end of the meeting, we're going to ask everyone to just on a scale of one to five, report out how you felt you achieved that norm today and why. Just a quick reflection. I think the norms can build up so much trust and again, building that collaborative capacity of the team, having that right in the agenda is important. And then at the start of the meeting saying, which one are we going to focus on today or practice? You talk about that collaborative capacity and even as a classroom teacher, we would talk as other teachers of, you know, collaboration is not inherent. We don't just automatically know how to do it. It right. is something that has to be learned. And and in terms of students, I mean, it's something that we teach and how do we teach it, right? So those ideas of clearly articulating norms, Marilyn always talks about the experience of we have this norm so that, and talking about the outcome of why that norm is important. Right. Right. She really likes that exercise so that people, again, become more confident in how they adhere to the norm and having the ability to hold others responsible for their behavior when it mm. doesn't align with the norms. And I think it takes our collaborative work to a much, much greater depth when we have those norms and we can start to say, so why is this norm important like you alluded to? Or what will it look like when we'd see it? Or even what would we not see if we're really living that norm. Um, so for instance, we will be focused and engaged is one of our norms. So we all agree that means we won't have our email open or we won't have our cell phones on the table. And then even more critically, we often talk about, have you had a conversation with the team over time about how will we respond when this norm is broken? What do we agree that we will do? Because we're human beings, 
we are going to stray. We're going to have off days. That's okay. But do we have a understanding of what we agree to do as a team when one of us is not upholding one of those expectations? And again, it doesn't have to be punitive. I loved sharing this example of a team that said, we'll arrive on time and prepared. And for them, the consequences, if anyone broke that, it was, they were responsible for bringing snacks to the next team meeting. Again, it's just, do we have clarity of how we operate and interact together to bring out the best and again, maximize that time that we have? Our time is so critically valuable. So I'm going to put an idea out there and we're going to talk about it in another podcast. I've decided the idea of norms for meeting versus norms for conflict, because I know that our team mm -hmm. has been through those two exercises because conflict is important. Conflict is, is what promotes growth, but mm -hmm. conflict is not always easy. And so there's a different set of norms when that exists compared to when we are simply just collaborating for purpose. So yeah, absolutely. Put that there. <laughs> but I want to go back to you talked about having a person doing a tally of how many times they saw this during a meeting. Well, Curtis, you've assigned a role. And I know that mistake number four is the fact that sometimes we don't assign roles. Absolutely. And I've lived this mistake fully with all the best intentions of taking on as a leader. Well, I'll take notes. I'll keep track of time. I'll keep the conversation going just so everyone can focus on the conversation. And it was a mistake. What I should have been doing was assigning roles within the team to really, really do three things. First, it creates that environment of shared responsibility. We're all responsible for the success of the time that we have together, not just one person. I think that's the first one. I think the second thing that it does is it increases the level of engagement of every team member in the conversation. If I know I'm responsible for doing X in the conversation, I'm going to be more attentive, more engaged in the conversation. And then it also helps us to create adherence to the structures and processes that we felt are important. So for instance, if we have said, let's take 10 minutes for this conversation, do we have a timekeeper who's saying, hey, we've got two minutes left. Let's keep this moving. And I often say within teams, it can feel a little bit awkward, a little bit mechanical when you first set those roles. In time, you will have team members that just naturally flow with it and come to really, really uh, cherish the roles because it just makes the time together that much more impactful. So uh, if anyone's listening and you haven't really considered putting roles into team meetings, start with three easy ones. Who's going to facilitate? Who will be our note taker? And who's our timekeeper? Those three are, I think, foundational for any team meeting that you're having. And then in time, you can start incorporating other roles. Sometimes it may even be a role that's in response to something in the past that's led to ineffectiveness. So we, we often joke about the schools that have introduced the interrupter role uh, because the team has awareness that sometimes we get on tangents and... Let's create a role that when that happens, this person's going to say, hey, let's bring it back together or interrupt with us with a prompted script of yes, but what are we going to do about it? Which again, leads from the storytelling to the what are the actions that we're going to take as a re result of this conversation? Uh, the roles to me are critically important. 
you highlighted something from your experience in the beginning that uh, brought to mind Marilyn and Colette talking about the idea that the leader is not doing any favors by trying to do it all on their own. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not building capacity of the team, which I never even phased on me that that was actually more important than saying, I'll I'll take this responsibility off you. That's actually doing a huge disservice to the team. Absolutely. And if you're trying to do it all, you're not doing it any of it to the capacity that you could, right? If you're busy taking notes, you're missing asking those really deep facilitating questions. If you're busy asking those deep facilitating questions, you're not getting the details in the notes that you need to be able to come back to and refer to. And then if I'm doing those two things, not bad, chances are I've lost total track of the time of what's happening. And now you've got people looking at their watches going, I thought we were done at 4.30 today. Exactly. So that idea of distributing, building capacity, the nice thing about doing that as well, we've talked often about, you know, what happens when staff shift and, you know, when leadership shifts, when people understand the the roles that are needed for a meeting and have the capacity to take those on, you're less likely to lose those structures and processes when staff transitions. Well, and we've seen staff that become very comfortable that they come in and say, all right, who's facilitating today? Who's taking notes? And sometimes it may be that, uh, for instance, within our own team, Jen, you're often our note taker because you're really skilled at uh, utilizing the software that we're, that we're using for that conversation, uh, the WeCollab software, but you're also very good at, at keeping the details. It may be that someone has a recurring role because they're just really good at it. It may be that we want to continue to shift the role. It may be in time that we want others to develop that capacity for when Jen's not part of, of uh, that particular conversation or that team. Do we have someone that could um, fill in that that gap? Going back to your agenda, I have seen in some situations where the roles are assigned as the agenda is sent out, again, creating that predictability of, I know when I go into this meeting what I'm responsible for, and if I don't know what that role is, I have an opportunity to ask questions of what's expected of me. I've also seen some schools where they will, at the end of a meeting, say, all right, who's taking on the facilitation next time? we get together. Here's our next date. Who wants to facilitate that? And again, it's creating that predictability and that dis- distribution of leadership. And we've experienced in some meetings where the role cards are on the table. And as part of reviewing who has what roles, the person with that role will describe based on what's on the back of those cards, what their responsibilities are during that meeting. Again, just until people become really familiar with you know, why that role exists. And again, the intentionality of that just increases uh, effectiveness for us. We we don't have to spend our brain power focused on how much longer is this going to be? Is somebody going to interrupt the person who's gone on a bit of a tangent? Is is the leader not going to take something? We don't have to spend time thinking through the logistical parts. We can really focus in on the crux of the conversation. We've done a lot of planning here for our team Mm -hmm. meetings. And a lot of it, again, has been front loaded prior to the meeting. Right. And again, these become really easy things over time. I don't even have to give them thought once they're established as predictable structures. Exactly. But the next structure we have is actually part of 
the conducting of the of the meeting, right? So our, mm-hmm. our, our next mistake is really about how we start meetings. And so I think when we start off the meeting, a mistake that we can make is let's jump right into reviewing past meeting or new business or whatever that looks like. And we can structure it out, but there needs to be an opportunity at the front end of the conversation. And it may be after, let's review the agenda. Let's take a look at our notes from last time. Let's assign our our roles. But then we want to jump into celebrations. And I think this is a mistake that we make is we don't take time to celebrate, even if it's just a small amount of time, what is it that we've done that's leading to success for our team? And so infusing in that time, if you have a 60-minute meeting plan, let's take 10 minutes and go around and what's a celebration, but then being really intentional that when you, Jen, say, I would love to celebrate this particular team member or this particular staff member or student, here's what they've done, for us to be able to say, okay, what have you done or what have they done that has led to that success? What that's doing is over time is getting us to continually reflect on what are we doing that's leading to impact for our organization. It helps to reinforce the good things that are happening, and it helps everyone around the table understand different parts of each other's world that I may not be privy to at all. When I come and, you know, I'd like to celebrate this student, here's the success, and here's what I did that I think led to it. What I did might be something that's very valuable for someone else in the room to hear, or may prompt a conversation around, so how did you do that? What did that look like? I think the celebrations, anytime you come together as a team, are really, really critical to the overall design. And so I know in previous conversations and over time, right, the starting with celebrations was that that building the foundation with positivity, right? We're going to start. Yeah. But when when things have evolved and the more that we've learned by working with partners, right, that discussion, right, that articulation of what has been done to lead to that celebration, that's a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. It is. All of a sudden, I can see the success that I want for my students or for myself. And now I have a strategy to go make that happen. Well, and there's a whole degree of of reflective practice that comes into play with that. When I can say, you know, I'd like to celebrate that this student is attending more regularly, but I I have no idea why that is. That's a very different self-awareness than saying this student has been attending more regularly. And I think the cause of that is the relationship that I've established with the family to ensure the importance of getting into the school um, more frequently. Now people can start to ask, so what did you do? Um, Did you do that through email? I have a a family that I'm struggling with in this. Maybe there's some tips that I can learn. Very, very different um, focus on the collective efficacy that we have as a team when we're doing that rather than, yeah, we're having celebrations, but I'm not really sure why they're, why they're occurring or what's been leading to it. So if we're going to counteract our five mistakes, I'm just going to summarize. We're going to ensure there's clarity for the meeting. The purpose is clearly communicated as to why this group of people is coming together. Mm -hmm. We're going to have an agenda and make sure it's sent out in advance so that people know what's expected of them when they come to the meeting. We're going to ensure that the team has developed norms so that we don't assume we know how to behave with one another, but we have, what's the word I'm looking for, Curtis? I think just, again, that word we've been saying over and over, clarity, that there's 
clarity around what we expect from one another, how we will, how we will intend to behave when working together. Number four is we're going to sure, ensure that we have roles. So we have them described so we know what they are and we have people that are going to do them. Mm -hmm. And then the last part is we're going to start with celebrations, not only to begin on a positive note, but to provide that opportunity to reflect and articulate our practice so that we can build up the efficacy around the table. Absolutely. And I think it goes right back to where you started with the idea of front loading. Once we have these established, they can be replicated over and over and over again, which again, I don't want to, every time I come to a meeting, there's a new set of roles and now I have to learn. And it, it actually is causing confusion, not helping that it starts to become predictable that when we say who's going to be our continuum curator, that people aren't looking around the room going, what the is that? We have a really <laughs> solid understanding of what that is and why it's in place. Before I let you go, I have one more really important question. This question is brought to you by WeCollab. Designed by educators for educators, this comprehensive digital system aligns with the foundational components of collaborative response. Moving from conversation to action, WeCollab empowers classrooms, schools, and systems to provide the very best response for each and every child by informing action-based decision-making with data and evidence supporting student success. We have encountered in various situations competent teams and oh, strong high-functioning, high-functioning high teams, Absolutely. right? With, with strong leadership who, who is incredibly supportive. When those leaders come to you and say, my team is operating in a highly effective way right now. Why would I want to shift things to introduce these considerations and potentially mess that up? How do you respond? I think my response would be through lived experience of dozens and dozens of leaders that have said the same thing who take that leap and say, all right, I will try introducing some of this. And every time it leads to a, we are operating at a now an entirely different level. We've gone from good to great or from great to outstanding uh, for us. I think also there's always the forward thinking that we need to do to understand that yeah, it might be really high functioning, but what happens if two team members transition? What happens if there's a leadership transition and we have to rebuild it all completely again? That rebuild happens so much quicker when you have the structures and processes in place. And again, schools and organizations that have said, we don't need roles. We operate really effectively, for instance. When they introduce the roles, they go, oh, okay, this has taken us to that next step. So I, I would really, really encourage if anyone is, is within that thinking to um, set it aside and just try, try some of the things that have been suggested. And I can really strongly attest that I think it will take you to a, the next level within your teams and within the collaborative efforts that's happening. I often hear too, when leaders or teams put in place the reaction of, well, we thought we were collaborating really effectively. We are at a different place. Or even sometimes the we recognize now 
what we were doing before wasn't really strong, effective collaboration. We were productive, we were getting along, but we're at an entirely new place because of the structures that we've introduced that we've shared here today. I don't think you could have said that any better. (laughs) Just the, the idea of, again, going back to collaboration is not an inherent skill that we have. We have to learn it. Mm -hmm. So you have provided a framework here of how to introduce effective collaboration and how to, like you said, level up the group that is happening in your school. Absolutely. That's a great terminology to use, Jen, of of leveling up. So thank you, because I know it's still summer and I don't want to take away any more from it. (laughs) But uh, you and I will be back in conversation over the course of this year with a number of different topics. So uh, be sure to subscribe to the channel or on your favorite podcast app that you're listening to. And uh, we look forward to sharing more. And we'd really love to hear any comments, any reactions that people have please uh, put those into the podcast or into the YouTube comments as well. Questions that you may have, we are very responsive to reviewing and getting back on anything that's put up. Ensuring success for all students is a moral imperative for all schools, but it takes a highly coordinated framework of structures and processes to maximize the collective capacity of the team. In Collaborative Response, three foundational components that transform how we respond to the needs of learners, we share an organizational mindset that involves fundamental shifts for schools and districts. Numerous school and district examples, as well as access to a large number of resources, are provided within the text and in the accompanying companion website. Join the growing number of schools using collaborative response to ensure high levels of success for students and staff, stemming from the essential belief that every child deserves a team. Curtis and I have talked a lot about planning for team meetings and preparing for team meetings over the years. And so one of the things that I want to highlight as a key learning is that idea of pre-planning and front-loading getting all of that information in there in advance of the team coming together. It really just does highlight what would be Curtis's key learning number two, that ongoing predictability, creating that psychological safety and creating those structures and processes to bring people together so that they can function with intention, function with meaning and relevance and function with confidence instead of being worried that they're going to get put in a hot seat or ask something that they don't know. The last key learning would be that idea of leveling up teams. As professionals, we know we can work together. We know we can be collegial. We know that we can share, that we can um, work together to, to get things done. And so when we talk about the, the mistakes in planning for team meetings, it's not that we're talking about broken teams. We're talking about groups of staff who who know how to come together and make things happen. But the idea of, of overcoming these five mistakes, this idea of paying attention to ensuring that there's clarity, ensuring that the agenda is clear and sent out in advance, 
ensuring that the norms are articulated so we know what to expect from ourselves when we come to a meeting and what to expect in return from the other people around the table ensuring that those roles are created so again it's not taken personally when somebody interrupts to move on or somebody steps up and says two more minutes for this conversation that's their job and then starting with those celebrations as that icebreaker to articulating our practice both puts that positive tone on the success as well as brings out that reflective practice we're not talking about overcoming mistakes in order to fix broken teams we really are talking about that idea of leveling up the groups that are there so that they can go from good to great or great to outstanding or however you want to describe the high functioning value that team is putting out and how these small considerations can actually increase the effectiveness that is being output by those groups of people. For more on collaborative response, visit jigsawlearning.ca or join the JL Insider to receive access to newly added resources and content. Make sure to follow us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast and the Jigsaw Learning YouTube channel to access past and upcoming episodes. Join us again to continue to build your own capacity in leading collaborative response in your context.